before Peter comes and opens God's word to us. We want to read together through the book of Colossians, starting from the beginning up to where Peter will pick up today. So hear God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh... I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known 
the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Amen. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving in our internet age we either access something or we don't access something uh, if your internet goes out you don't see a poorer quality version of whatever you're watching right there's no static when it comes to streaming something off of youtube right it's either frozen in a little spinny wheel or you're watching it. Uh, the only time I can recall these days, I do remember satellites and uh, uh, antenna. Now there's like the digital box ones. It still never works for me. It's like wherever I live, signal's bad. Like the only time I ever try to watch anything on like live TV would be the Thanksgiving Day Parade. And now you can get like 360 shots of that on YouTube as long as your internet's up, so it just doesn't really matter. Uh, even on the radio, it's just sort of set, but I remember you know, turning the knob. And when you're talking about local stations and broadcasts, you, you start thinking about good or bad reception. If the signal is coming to you strongly or weakly or adequately enough for you to be able to watch or listen. Very different than internet age, right? Um, at least some of you know what I'm talking about. But this reception or receiving is less about the attention that you give it. It's not, are you watching what's on TV? Are you listening to the radio? But it's like, is it coming in? So receiving or reception has to do with the transmission of that information to you, right? It, it's coming into your house, your television or, or your radio. There's, it's a fact of it coming. Then if it's come, then we can deal with what are you doing with that information, right? The warning could be broadcast, but if you're in another room, you don't, you don't hear it. Do you see? So when we talk about receiving, that's where we need to, that's where we need to start, the coming into our lives. And as we resume our time in Colossians this morning, we're actually at the end of Paul's introduction, and we are beginning the body of the letter. This is, in essence, a, a hinge this is a turning point. And actually, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, some have called the, the center of the letter and really the, the entirety of his argument, 
Everything that he's, he's built is in the first phrase. Everything that's going to come in the chapters that follow uh, flow out. So in these two parts, even just in verse 6, received Christ Jesus the Lord is in essence a summary of the things that he's talked about up to this point. And so walk in him is what he's going to spend the next uh, three chapters, the rest of chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. Uh, and what Lord willing, we'll spend the next August, September, October, November. It'll take us uh, nearly five months uh, if my schedule follows. I don't know. Maybe Keith will slow us down. Maybe Keith will speed us up. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what we'll have with this. But this ties the whole letter together. And so we need to understand what this passage is saying so we can keep in mind the point that Paul's been making and so that our hearts are set to receive what Paul has, what has for us, what the Lord has for us through what Paul has written. This passage connects Paul's thanksgiving, connects Paul's prayer, connects Paul's hymn of praise to Christ, connects all of these things, including what he, how he sees his ministry and how it relates to them as Gentiles. All of what this has to do and how it shows itself in their lives. So as he gets to his point, he reminds the Colossians that they have received Christ Jesus the Lord. It has happened. You have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Which raises the question, have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? Now, when we first hear about that, as we've used that word, or as American Christianity, whatever that means, as it's often talked about, when we hear even this question, have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? Your mind might go to a personal decision that you made to accept him as your Lord and Savior. Right? Have I, have I received him? Is it like, has it made that difference in my life? But this word receive is, is actually not talking about our response to something. It's talking about the fact of the truth coming to us. Right? All of that talk about TV reception or radio receptions. Like, is the message coming in clearly? And he's saying to them, this message has come to you clearly. So it's not first about, like, what are you doing with the message? He's going to get to that. But he's not saying, like, really, has it? He's saying it has. You have received Christ Jesus the Lord. And he's reminding them they most certainly have. And, and we see this same use of this word, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that the true tradition or the teaching about Jesus has come to them. The full, true gospel message has been taught to them. It was proclaimed in Colossae by, by Epaphras, by others, not by Paul. He talks about that. But right, this beloved fellow servant, this faithful minister of Christ on their behalf was the one who taught them. They learned the grace of God and truth from Epaphras, from this faithful proclaimer of the gospel, just as many others had heard it from Paul and from other apostles and from other, other preachers and others who are seeking to make disciples. The full true gospel message had been taught to them. Nothing from it had been excluded. Receiving. 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. I said it. You heard it. In which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received. 
So an authoritative declaration of truth. That's what receiving is. And that happened in Colossae. So really, like, this isn't a starting, the question of have you received Christ Jesus the Lord is not so much as like, have you accepted him as your personal savior? But it's like, in your hearing, has the gospel been proclaimed? And the answer is yes. And it will be again today. What is this true teaching that has come to us? Because really, that's what he's saying. As you received, and we could almost, you could underline, you could put this in bold, you could put this in quotes. The message is Christ Jesus the Lord. That's content. That's not just like, what do you think about Jesus? It's like, what is the truth about Jesus that has been proclaimed in your hearing? We could say this same phrase, Christ Jesus the Lord. We could say that you, Jesus is Christ. Jesus is Lord. Those are both titles. This phrase, Christ Jesus the Lord, sums up everything that Paul has said about Christ in the letter thus far. As we heard read to us, I think we start hearing things, uh, we're, the first thing that jumps out about who Christ is is in chapters thir- uh, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He is our Redeemer. It is in the beloved Son that we have redemption, deliverance, forgiveness of sins. And then, chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, Christ as the firstborn over the old creation and the new creation. Christ and Lord are both very important titles. Peter concluded his great sermon at Pentecost with these words in Acts 2, 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. These aren't incidental titles or and Christ isn't just a name, even though it's kind of treated like a name sometimes. That's okay. But it's a title. It's a promise. It's actually the statement of a promise having been fulfilled. It is content of the truth of who Jesus is. He is Christ. He is Lord. And he is so because that is who God has sent him to be and declared him to be and demonstrated that he is. Declared to be the son of God in power by the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's in Romans chapter one. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one in whom all God's promises, all of God's promises find their yes and their amen. How do we know that God keeps his promises? Does God keep his promises? The answer is yes. Why? Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God has done. The the apex, the climax of all of those things. And those benefits have flowed to us through Christ. God has promised forgiveness of sins to those who would trust in Christ. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. This is the truth of the gospel that Paul delivered to them just as he had received it from Christ. He talks about that in Galatians. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? Do you know that Christ died for our sins? He was buried and that he rose again the third day and appeared and he's coming again. The gospel, the good news, centers around Jesus. 
Jesus is Christ. Jesus is also Lord. The NIV has this, have you received, or you, therefore, since you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. So they sort of center it on Lord. That's good. Paul does that in some other places as well. At least four passages. We're only going to see two of them briefly. But Jesus as Lord speaks of his deity. He is God. That, that personal name of God in the Old Testament, Yahweh, too holy for the Jews to speak, or so they thought. God told them to call him that, so I disagree with their application, although I appreciate the principle. But when we read that name, instead of reading the name, what do we read in the Old Testament? We don't read Yahweh, we don't read Jehovah, we read what? Lord, capital L-O-R-D. There are many lords, little l, there's one lord, big L. Many kings, little k, one king. There's a king over kings. There's a lord over lords. It is Jesus. He is God. This speaks of his sovereignty. He is king and master over all things and all people. The basic sense of this word lord is that of superior to inferior, of a master to a slave, of a king to a subject or citizen, of a god to their worshipers, Lord. And this Lord has acknowledged rights to command or dispose of his servants. It's about him. It's not about them. It's about Christ. It's not about us. Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether you have what we think of as received it or not, right? That's kind of why it moves away from that, that sort of subjective, personalized sense. Do you, have you uh, decided to put yourself underneath the, the authority of Jesus? You are under the authority of Jesus, whether you like it or not. See, that is truth that we receive. Jesus Christ is Lord. Not will you let him be Lord. He's not asking. He's offering you mercy. Right? You will proclaim that to be true. In, in Paul's day and in the decades that followed, this title, Lord, incredibly significant. What did Paul say in Romans 10, verse 9? Just jumping into the middle of that passage there, you could look at the, the surrounding context if you'd like. I'm not missing it, I promise. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess. There's a confession. If confession is an agreement, an admission of something. I admit, we think of confessing as doing something wrong. I admit that I did this thing wrong that I've been accused of. But we don't just admit. We have readings from the confessions, statements, documents, proclamations of truth. This is what we believe. If you confess, if you admit, you recognize or see, recognize your place, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Or again, looking forward to the end of time, Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Every knee, heaven and on earth, under the earth, everything, all of creation, just like 
All things that were created, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities. He created all of them. And then looking forward to the end of all things, Satan and the demonic ranks down, angels in whatever orders they are, and everything else in all of creation will bow and confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, there was a common phrase that people in the ancient Roman Empire would say. The phrase was, Caesar is Lord. It's two words in their language. Caesar is Lord. It was a statement, though, of worship. It wasn't just he's our emperor. Because there was, there was worship of the emperor. So it was a statement of worship and submission to Caesar. Around the year A.D. 156, there was a leader of the early church named Polycarp. He served in the city of Smyrna. You've heard that name from the book of Revelation. Polycarp lived to be an old man, 86 years old, still continuing to preach the gospel, lead the church there in Smyrna. And at 86 years old, Polycarp was, was hunted down by local authorities. And it chased him from house to house. His, his disciples, not that they were worshiping him, but, but those that uh, benefited under his ministry and, and wanted to assist him in that, kind of like Timothy or Titus would have assisted Paul. They begged him to flee. They're coming for you. And he's like, well, I'll go hide in this house. Kind of like, I'm an old man. I can't run forever. And this is the city that God has called me to. I'm going to stay. They eventually found him, arrested him for being a Christian. As he was taken into custody, the official in charge of his arrest offered him his freedom. They had heard of this polycarp. They had heard of this, this church leader, this Christian, and all the trouble that he had caused in, in Smyrna and all the people who had turned away from worshiping the emperor or whoever else to worshiping Christ. And so they have this nefarious figure in their mind, and this old hunched-over man walks in instead, 86 years old. The official in charge offered him his freedom. Put it in phrase, as the story is recorded for us, all that Polycarp had to do was say, Caesar is Lord. And they would have let him go. They reasoned with him, what harm could it do to just say Caesar is Lord and save your life? You're an old man. Do you really want to endure what we're about to subject you to? How tempting to compromise and say that little phrase, right? This just reminds, this little phrase reminds me of like, it's just a bite of fruit. You hear the devil's lies in that? Just say the words. It doesn't matter. Polycarp knew what the choice really was, though. Will I maintain my confession that Christ alone is Lord and die, or will I deny Christ to save my life, gain the world, and lose my soul? Because the Roman Empire knew Caesar is Lord and Christ is Lord could not coexist. They knew that. That's why they arrested Polycarp. And he knew it. That's why he allowed himself to be arrested. And he said this, for 86 years, I have been Christ's slave, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? 
because he maintained his confession of Christ Jesus the Lord, he was burned at the stake before a crowd of hateful, blasphemous Roman Caesar worshipers, 86 years old. This message, Christ Jesus the Lord, has come to you. You have received it, even as I've shared it with you again this morning. But have you accepted it as true and relevant to you? It is true, whether you like it or not. But have you gotten that? Do you recognize that Jesus is the promised Christ and the Lord over everything? If you are a follower of Christ, you have a new life in him. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You've been delivered from the domain of darkness, transferred into his kingdom. And just as that life, this new life started in Christ, it continues to be in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Are you walking in him? Are you walking in Christ Jesus the Lord? This is the first command that Paul gives to the Colossians in this book. He's made it two chapters, six verses, telling them things that are true, reminding them of things, praying for them. This is a bit of a misnomer, right? Because in all his prayer requests, he's teaching them about things that they should do. But he hasn't used the imperative form yet till right here, the hinge of this letter. Here's, here's how I've thanked God. Here's how I've prayed for you. Here's what I'm thankful. Here's who Christ is. Here's the proclamation of that. Okay, now, all of that, walk in him. Walk in him. This is a command for you to live under the lordship of Christ. You must walk in Christ. This is a call to ongoing Christian faithfulness. I said it before, it really doesn't, doesn't matter very much what you believed or, or how you walked. It doesn't matter what your life was. Walk in him. Continue walking in him. Continue living faithfully under the absolute, total lordship of Christ Jesus for every day of your life to fall under the banner, Christ Jesus is my Lord and the Lord of, of everything else. This is the, the truth of my existence. This is a, a sphere that surrounds me, that I walk, that I live in Christ. There's a totality to this. Our existence is supposed to fall under that banner, Christ Jesus the Lord. This isn't a badge that you wear to show a small change in your life. Right? Not just like a pin that you put on that you're part of a club. It is a completely new existence, a new life, a new walk. You're not in you anymore. You're in Christ, transformed existence. To help them and to help us, Paul elaborates on this because it's like, okay, yeah, Christ Jesus is Lord. I want to walk in him. This is great because then we say what? It's like, so how do I do that? What do I do to walk in Christ? And Paul says, well, let me, let me explain this to you. Let me elaborate with a series of reminders that our walk in Christ flows out of God's gracious work in us. 
right? Be like, all right, commands are starting. Got the commands. What do I need to do? It's like, yeah, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to live in light of all that God has done in you. It's four statements that elaborates on this, and the first three are actually God's work in us. Walk in him out of God's work in you. Walking in Christ means God has rooted us in Christ. Walk in him, rooted in him. This verb is, is passive. You got to know grammar to be able to really get stuff. Talked about imperatives and talked about passives and active is something that you do. This does not say walk in him, rooting yourself in him. Does not say, hey, root yourself in Christ. Not what it says. It says you have been rooted in Christ. So who did that? Did Paul root them in Christ? Did, did Epaphras root them in Christ? Do we have the capacity to do that? Does, does, do your elders, do your pastors, do we root you in Christ? I, I can't do that. I can proclaim. The only one who can root you in Christ is God. You have been rooted in Christ. It's a reminder. As you're walking, you need to know what has already taken place. God has rooted us in Christ. He is our gardener. You garden. We are a family uh, given to a couple, given to obsessions. What's one of my obsessions? Coffee. What's the other one? Disc golf. I knew I heard it from somebody, right? Going to talk about that? What, what did you say? It's probably true too. Wood. Oh, yeah. Not as good as wood. But I, yeah, I like, I like wood. Just get, it, get in that. Leanne, gardening 24-7. It's great. I love it. But she's just all about gardening right now. And so what's she doing with that gardening? She's having me rip out bushes with their stupid roots that are just everywhere with poison ivy just finding their way in all of those things. And then she's digging up stuff. She's taking these plants, and she just sort of throws them on the grass. No, Pam's like, no, she didn't. Taught her better than that. No, she's digging up, and she's putting the, the roots down in because a plant doesn't grow without good roots, roots that are in good soil with the moisture and the nutrients coming in those type of things. And if they're rooted then there's growth that could happen. The plant doesn't root itself. The plant doesn't put itself in the ground. It's put there by a gardener. The growth that's going to be flowing out of our lives that looks like walking in him, that we're going to elaborate on by not being taken captive, not being deceived, putting off, putting on. The things that into chapter, the end of chapter three are going to enter into our homes and enter into our business places these things have to flow out of the fact that we are rooted in Christ by God. Thinking about this, rooted, this, this gardener, gardening metaphor reminded me of John 15. Do you remember Jesus' upper room discourse, John 13? He took on that towel. He, he served his disciples. He washed their feet. He taught them in John 14 about the comforter who would come to be with them. In John 15, he says this, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser or gardener. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. What does that mean? As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. I am, he is the vine. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When you prune, you hedge, you break off pieces of those different plants, you, you rip off aspects of it, you trim them off, what's going to happen to them? They're, they're going to dry up. They're going to die because they're not connected to the vine. They're not connected to the, the trunk, which is connected to the roots. Christ is the plant. We are connected to him. We are rooted in him so, so life can flow into and through us from him, disconnected from Christ, there is no life. Connected from Christ, then we can walk in him. Then we can live as faithful to him. We are not independent plants. We are branches grafted into Christ, the vine. All of our strength, all of our fruit, all of the sanctifying changes that take place in us, they all come about from our connection to Christ. You have no spiritual strength, you have no spiritual growth, you have no holiness from anything that happens with you disconnected from Jesus. His righteousness covering you and his grace at work in you. Apart, he said it, apart from me, you can do nothing. So he doesn't, doesn't save us and then send us to try to be holy on our own. All right, go walk in me. That's not what that means. Live in me. Walk in me. Not just walk like me. Walk in me. How are you living each day as a plant rooted to Christ Jesus the Lord? The psalmist wanted this type of life-giving, fruit-bearing connection with his Lord. So he wrote in what I think is the, the introduction, not just, didn't just happen to be Psalm 1, but it's like this is what this whole book is about. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The word connection to Christ and his word is the food for his soul that results in fruit, leaf-bearing, even in dry seasons. Ephesians 3, Paul prayed that according to the riches of his glory, God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, we don't come, we don't come to know who Jesus is on our own and then come back to him. It's not like start with me and then go figure stuff out. Go learn and then come back. Go do 
and then I'm going to check up on you later. Right? There's no separation from Christ. Can't, you can't know Christ apart from Christ. You can't love Christ apart from Christ. Right? Rooted in him. That's what God has done in us. We're walking in Christ because God has rooted us in him. We are rooted in Christ by his word and by his spirit. Oh, that we would think of our relationship with God in such life-giving terms. That he's not against us, but it's, it's him in us. Christ in you is the hope of glory. You are rooted in him. Don't try to separate yourself from that. Run to Christ. Be, be, be aware of your need of him. And, then, and live that out. Being rooted in him. Walking in Christ also means God is building us up in Christ. Walk in him, rooted and built up in him. This, this verb isn't active, it's passive. Once again, he's doing this three times. So you do, it's not, hey, build yourself up. Grow stronger, grow mature. Like, no, this is what God is doing. God is building us up in Christ. As, as he, is our, he is our architect or he is our builder. Describing our lives as buildings, something that's in progress. You're not complete. You ever feel like, yeah, I'm really not there. Anybody ever feel like that? Just really haven't reached it. I hope so. Because you haven't reached it. So if you're like, yeah, this is it. I've peaked. <laughs> Whew. No, you haven't. No, no offense intended. Uh, if you're offended, it's okay. Because you're just not perfect. Only Christ is perfect. Uh, you're in progress. We all are. That's to the glory of Christ. God is building us up in him. There are buildings in progress according to a design that God has, the, the prototype of which is Christ. Jesus taught the same things to his disciples. Paul wasn't just like, oh, what metaphor can I come up with? In Luke chapter 6, among other passages, Jesus says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built, on a, ha built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. We are buildings, and Christ is our foundation. And the one who hears and does Christ says is the one that God is building up in Christ. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If God is our architect, if he's our builder, do you, do you think God's a good builder or a bad builder? You could legitimately ask that question about me. <laughs> Am I a good builder or a bad builder? I'm an okay-ish builder. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure this is going to hold. I think, I think this one's good. That if it fell apart, be like, ah, not that surprised. I don't build houses, right? It's just our dining room table fell apart, which I don't think it will. I think it's pretty, pretty sturdy. If it fell apart, no one's going to die unless they were under because it's heavy. Careful, kids. No. But what about God? Really, do you think that God is a good builder or is he a bad builder? If he's the one who's building you up, is he doing a good job? You ever think 
that he's not? I question. I don't like all the things that he does. I don't like all the changes. I don't like the pacing. I don't like some of the rooms he chooses to remodel. Right? Does he make mistakes, though? He does not. The metaphor of of my life as a building reminded me also I am not the only building God is working on. We are all being built up in him. That same work at whatever pace and whatever room and whatever, however you want to take, however far you want to take that metaphor of what God is doing, that same thing is true of you. You are also a building being built up on the foundation of Christ by God himself. You too are in process toward a goal being constructed without mistakes by God. But every one of those buildings, it's like we're both a building, but we're also like just a brick. Because we are individual buildings that are part of another building that God is constructing. So it's not really just about your building. We can get so myopic, so one vision, so closed in, it's like the only thing that's happening is me. And then to the Ephesians in chapter 2, Paul raises that out. It's like, no, you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are members, not a member, but members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and in whom the whole structure, all of these saints, all of these members, being joined together, stacked like bricks, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. So that, that building project that is your life is part of countless other building projects that God is doing in other people's lives, constructing all of it, not into something that would be about us, but something that would be about Christ. That's why it's so important for all of us to be together. Because God is bringing us together, fellow members, fellow bricks, being built up to the glory of Jesus. That we together, with all of God's saints across time, are a temple for the worship of God. A temple for the glory of Jesus. So it's not just about you. You're not just on your own, and it's not just about you, but it's God working in all of us, putting it all together so that Jesus will be glorified. So we walk in him knowing that that's what we are a part of, that that's what God is doing for us. So as we live under the lordship of Christ, that's a privilege of what God is doing in us and not just in us. So how are you living each day as a building under construction by God? How are you recognizing and rejoicing in what God is doing in your life? Walking in Christ means God is establishing us in the faith, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Yet again, another work of God in us. Maybe we could say that if he's our gardener, if he's our builder or architect, We throw a different metaphor in here. I don't think this is exactly what Paul is intending, but it just worked for me, that he is our anchor, that established, that firmness. Some would translate this as a a strength. When I hear about being established, reminds me of so many different passages that talk about perseverance, that talk about endurance. 
a plant with, with good roots, when you know it's taken, what, what would you call that plant? A plant that has been established. A building with a good foundation and good construction is established. And a Christian walking in Christ is established, not because of her intelligence or his effort, but because of God's grace in them. And the fact that we are, we are established in the faith, that God has established us in the faith is a promise of our perseverance by God's grace. We can and we will endure. We will be steadfast. We will continue to trust in and walk in Christ because God is the one who has established us. You are not on your own as a plant or as a building or as a or in the faith itself. You've never been on your own and you never will be on your own as God is at work at you. God has faithfully bound you to himself and bound himself to you in Christ. You are established in the faith, not just in your believing, but in the faith. Talked about this a little bit before. The faith that you were taught the faith that you have received, this, this confession, Christ Jesus the Lord, these things are brought together in this. This is what we could call this apostolic tradition, that which was revealed by Christ to the apostles and proclaimed by the apostles to the churches that they planted and then also recorded for us in the scriptures. See, it is in the Bible that you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. It is the Bible that contains the gospel truth of who Jesus is, what he has done, how it affects us, the benefits that come to us in relationship with God, who we meet in Scripture. How are you living each day as established in the faith? Fixed and firm and steadfast and enduring. Is the gospel truth found in God's word a foundational part of your life every day? Or is it just something on the side? Being established in the faith is not just kind of having it on the side, having that badge. Like, oh, yep, I'm a, I'm a Christian, you know, sometimes. No, established in the faith, is it just a Sunday thing? You're like, yep, I'm established in the faith because Sunday's from 1030 to noon or 1205 or 1215, 1220. Even if you read it every day, right? You'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, read it every day, established in the faith. But even if you read it every day, have you ever done this? Like, read, pray, yell at your kids? Have you ever done that? Oh, I hate that. I hate my stupid flesh. Oh, Jesus Christ is Lord. Praise your holy name forever. Why are you yelling at your sister right now? Like, what was... What a what stupid flesh. Are we being changed? Are our... Is our life flowing out of the faith that we've received in God's word? Are our thoughts held captive to the word of God? Are our decisions influenced by the truth of what God has said? Are our feelings to be submitted to what Jesus has taught us? Every part of us should be attached to and flowing out of God's word. You're not going to get that perfectly. I'm not going to get that perfectly, but like, that's what God's doing in us. That's walking in him. You've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. 
God has, has rooted us in Christ, and God is building us up in Christ, and God is establishing us in the faith. So, so then how do we respond? Because he's done these things, we respond. And this is how he ends. Walking in Christ means abounding in thanksgiving. God has rooted us, build, is building us up, is establishing us in the faith, and will. So we, we give thanks. Abounding in thanksgiving. You, you know, we, we cannot separate thanksgiving from, from worship. Isn't it so strange that every November, everybody wants to give thanks, but nobody wants to give thanks to anyone? It's like, it's like the most, maybe the most useless phrase in the English language, my thoughts are with you. I, I don't care about your thoughts. Right? Like, it's like, well, I'd pray, but I don't believe anybody's listening, so just think about you and just sort of wish goodness at you. Jackson, I like you, buddy. You know, good friend. I'm just going to wish $20 in your wallet. I don't think anything happened. I'm, right? You can't just, oh, I'm just thankful, right? Thankful to who? Right? It just lends itself out to it. The eternity in our hearts and our knowledge of God causes us to want to cry out, to be like, wow, we, we owe something to someone. What we have, we've received. We want to be grateful. You can't just be grateful to yourself. You want to be grateful to God. Thanksgiving is worship. I have received this which I don't deserve. We cannot separate thanksgiving from worship. We cannot separate worship from a life lived under the lordship of Christ. You know, sometimes we flatten worship into songs that we sing. It's like, oh, that's the worship part of our gathering. But that's not, it's not true. Like, every part of our gatherings together are meant to be worship. Like, this is worship right now. And worship isn't limited to Sundays from 1030 to noon, or 12.05, 12.10. At least our worship shouldn't be limited to the time when we just come together with God's people here. It's not just about watching somebody else worship or only worship when we come together. We do this, but every day of our lives should be filled with intentional gratitude to God for all that he has done for us. Every, every day, every moment, calling ourselves back to those things. Walking in Christ means that we, we know what we have received and we worship because of that. Thanksgiving that's offered to the Father for the Son by the Holy Spirit. So, so what do we have to be thankful for? Christ Jesus the Lord has come. Right? God has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. We have redemption. We have the forgiveness of our sins. We can be thankful for that. We can be thankful that we have received or been taught this true message of God's grace. Not everyone has. Not everyone has received the truth, Christ Jesus is Lord, but you have. Do we abound in thankfulness for that? We can be thankful that we are rooted in Christ and not left alone to live in our own strength. We can be thankful that we are being built up in him as part of an eternal temple for his glory. We can be thankful that we are established in the faith, a faith that centers on Christ, a faith that is not centered on do your best, it's centered on Christ has done it all for you. 
And may God fill us not just with the, the knowledge of these things, but with awe and wonder and amazement at the scope of the eternal salvation that he has given us in Christ. And may we not be just thankful occasionally, but may we abound in thanksgiving. There is this overflowing, just gushing out thanksgiving for what God has done for us. May we continually live every moment of every day under the banner of the Lordship of Christ for which we can be thankful. And thanks, thankfulness is not just limited to, to Bible reading and songs and sermons and offerings. We, we can abound in thankfulness by eating, drinking, or not eating or not drinking. We can be thankful and abound in thankfulness whether we're working or resting. We can abound in thankfulness whether we're rejoicing or whether we're weeping. Wherever God is in control, he is at work. Wherever God is at work, we have cause to abound in thanksgiving. So over how much is Christ Lord? That's what we have to be thankful for. So as we come to the Lord's table, let us do so abounding in thanksgiving. For Christ Jesus, the Lord, Christ Jesus, our Lord, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So come to receive what Jesus has done for you and we go forth walking in him. If you're a follower of Christ, that's what this, this table is, that we come to receive what Christ has done for us. We, it's, it's, a, it's a conscious act. There's nothing in eating bread and drinking grape juice. Right? But with, with eyes of faith, we don't, we don't see just bread. We see the broken body of Christ for us. And with eyes of faith and what we've received from Scripture, we don't just see juice, right? We see the blood of Christ cleanses us from our sins. So if you're a follower of Christ, right, not just heard that Christ is Lord, but, but accepted, confessed that Christ is Lord, then come to the, come to the table. Come rejoicing and abounding in thanksgiving for all that Jesus has done for you. You don't have to be a member at Risen King Church to do so. Uh, Fred will come uh, serve the elements to us, reminding us this is done for us. This is Christ given for us. And we'll return to our seats to partake of these things together for the glory of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Christ, though, if you reject his lordship over the universe and, and you included, then why would you come to his table? Like, why are you here at all? Right, because we are the ones who have acknowledged the lordship of Christ. And so we come to the table in, in worship, walking in him. If you want to worship Christ, worship Christ with us at this table. If you don't care about worshiping Christ, then stay seated. I'm not trying to be mean. It's just, this isn't for you if Christ Jesus is Lord, is not the confession and the banner of your life. But if it's not, consider carefully what that means. Do you reject the fact that you're a sinner? You know you are. You fall short of your own moral standards and the conscience tells you that. 
can't pay that debt on your own. But Jesus died to save sinners. He will save you. You can be forgiven, not because you're good enough, but because of what Christ has done. Receive that, rejoice in it, and worship Jesus now and for eternity. Let's pray. Christ Jesus, you are the Lord over, over all things. We praise you. We are thankful for all that you have done. You are, you are our root or our vine. You are our, are our foundation. You are the center of our faith. Our lives and our eternity are in you. Uh, teach us to walk in you. Amen.